Scaling Shadow is over. But I might have learned something along the way. Perhaps, I don't know. Also, and I sit down to kind of discuss what lessons were learned, what we can pass on to other GMs. Running this game, something similar, or something completely different. So, hope you enjoy this week's episode of This American Dice. The GM Advice for Scale and Shadow. But anyway, hey, guess what? Uh, we, we did a campaign. We did, we did the whole thing. We did it. Yeah. Perfect. It was against the cult of Reptile God and even a little bit of the Village of Hamlet, sort of. But we're here to talk about the Kevin. GM side of things. Kevin. Mm-hmm. We're you should be paying about, attention. We're here to talk about Kevin. The movie, we're, we need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, David and Austin. We're the most of the time GMs around these parts. It's true. We're trying to change that from time to time. But yeah, we, we actually, uh, I think in, if you've listened to the player discussion, you will have heard that this was from from quite a while ago when we actually ran this game. So we're coming in back to it. But we've had lots of time to talk about it in person and uh, figured I'd start off with sharing some of those thoughts we've had since then with, with all of you listeners. The, the dozens and dozens of mm-hmm. listeners. But I think one thing uh, you had particularly said, said a bunch of times was I tried to do a policy. Uh, I The three player plus policy is what I called it, where I have four players. And if at least three of them are good to go this well, uh, schedule. Bef- before, before, before we hop into this and I, I am interrupting you and I'm not How sorry. I'm not sorry <laughs> about it. And I'll never apologize. Um, <laughs> In case anybody's coming to this uh, going, oh, GM advice, can we give, before we have any of that other stuff, can we talk about what game we ran real fast, just real quickly, what game we ran and what module we, we ran? Um, yeah, for sure. And yeah. Yeah, we ran uh, Against the Cult of the Reptile Gods and a little bit of Village of Hamlet, which are two very early D&D modules, but we ran them with Dungeon World. Powered by the Apocalypse game from also a while ago, but much more recent than the modules. And uh, I put them together and called them Scale and Shadow. It's kind of the uh, the setting, I guess. So we're going to try to give some advice for game masters, dungeon masters, storytellers, narrators, and Hollyhock. Yeah, um, Hollyhock, um, the the character from BoJack Horseman, who's his uh, <laughs> sister. Spoiler alert: not oh his God. daughter. Um, yeah, so this is kind of a. I guess this might be useful to you if you want to run, especially against the Cult of the Reptile God in D&D or anything, or if you more generally, if you want to kind of get some get some pointers about Dungeon World or Pirate Valley Apocalypse games in general, or just any games in general. Hey, we're very useful here. Yes. I swear. Yeah, I think we could... Most of the things I think we're going to talk about will be pretty can be extrapolated out to be something more general than just this module or just dungeon world even. Um, and I'm hoping to give some advice on people's walk with Christ. Yes, of course. All right. That's why I'm <laughs> sitting backwards and my hat is on backwards. And also I'm sitting uh, entirely the other way. So actually I'm not looking at you. Hold on, David. All right. There we go. Now I'm f- facing the correct way. There we are. The true reptile god was Christ the whole time. <laughs> there you go. Isn't the, the reptile god in all of us, <laughs> JC? Uh, so 
How do you feel about that three player plus policy, Austin? <laughs> yeah, so we had we had four players total, um, but oftentimes one of them was not available. And so, um, do you want to describe what the three player plus was generally, even though it's fairly obvious? Right. Yeah. Just as long as we had three or more of the four, then we're good to go. But if two people have to cancel, then we'll we'll save it for another week. And we kind of did this because I remember. I guess the was the game before this L five R. Wow, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, um, that's that's how that's how old this one was. Where the game yeah. immediate preceding it, the long game preceding it was Legend of the Five Rings, Ryoko Owari, a game that shocked me that we had every player for every single session, and there were like probably like twenty sessions. Yeah, yeah, we had to cancel like rarely, if if ever, for that one, which was pretty it was, good. It was very, it was shockingly stable. This one. We struggled, so we we used the the rule of uh, three or more, get on the floor, walk the dinosaur, mm-hmm. two or less, reptile <laughs> god JC, he gonna bless you to not come <laughs> to the game. <laughs> but so, my thoughts on that, I can definitely give you, and we have we have a GM advice that I did about if you're missing a player, mm-hmm. um, and I think this game had some particular uh particular things that i talked about in that but like were very but i based some of what i talked about there on what i learned in this game yeah and from what i remember because again this was this was a while ago but i think we started that because um jacob couldn't make the first couple like he was going to miss the first couple weeks yes and then after we started i think the before the second session or so, Oscar was saying, told me, "Oh, well, you know, I'm going to have to miss a couple of weeks too." And I'm like, "You know what? All right. Let's uh let's make this policy so that we don't have to kind of delay this game indefinitely." Mm-hmm. And since then, we've kind of run into this problem more frequently as we go on that uh, you know, people have busy lives, they can't exactly meet every every week or yeah. every couple of weeks depending on how we're doing it. So it's a, it's a pretty common problem, I think, for a lot of people. It's we getting more with, and more common for us. Yeah, we hang out with a lot of um, uh, farm-to-table perverts. <laughs> and so they 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 have to get their kicks like on a very, very specific crop rotation schedule. And uh, it's, it's, tru- it's troubling and a little bit annoying. But this game, the one thing I will say right off the bat is two things matter for this of if you're missing a player and how you handle it. And if the game isn't very serious and it's kind of goofy, and if you're not recording the thing where it's supposed to mean anything to other people who are outside of it, do whatever the fuck you want is really the short end of it of like, oh, so-and-so can't make it. It kind of doesn't matter if they can or can't, uh, especially if it's not supposed to be serious. But if you are trying to weave a more serious plot um, and if you're then to further that, trying to be able to present that plot to other people where it is more coherent and you can't have characters just <laughs> blipping in and out of the scene, then you're going to have to figure something out. And that's actually, as a connoisseur of bad movies, that is a thing that will often happen in very low-budget good-bad movies is a character will be in a scene and then... Once they don't have their lines, that actor just isn't there because they didn't need that actor to be there. 
or they didn't think to ever show them again. And so as far as you know, they've vanished from the universe. But yeah, so if it's not serious and you're not recording it and it's just for you at the table and you're just having fun, doesn't matter. Play with whoever you got available because then you're playing and that's better than not playing. There's the yeah. very shortest version I have of that to be super general. But I know you want to talk about the system that we used for this game. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad you brought up the bad movies because I had kind of envisioned this as like a bad fantasy movie from the 80s, you know, that were that's why all the VHS noises were in there, everybody. Yeah, I think having people not there for a couple hours kind of makes made a little more sense in this uh the tone we're going for here just because who knows what that director was thinking that day and i was also kind of trying to tap into all of my nostalgia from playing DD as you know in high school and college where oh if someone's not there we're, we're not stopping come on we're just gonna play we play every saturday or whatever so it doesn't matter if they're there or not so for this one in particular i i feel like kind of uh i was more uh open to doing that than maybe I would for some other games. But I think it mostly worked, especially there. I take everything you, you said uh, to point like it having a cohesive narrative. It was kind of challenging, but one good benefit for this is that uh, I got to do kind of the apocalypse world love letters a couple of times um, when a player was gone for a session or two and then they came back. I think most notably, I did that with Oscar um, playing Kwan when he was captured and then had the, the reptile corruption um, given to him. So he was becoming more and more reptilian, even though nothing ever ended up <laughs> happening with that. But those love letters are a blast to write, and I just recommend them all the time for any Power Valley podcast game. Maybe some other ones, too. They're very you, fun. You did that for Jacob as well, but it was just like a little bit uh, it was a little bit less uh, intense because this is how he was getting introduced. Hmm. Um, but what the hell are love letters? So you just wrote that you and you're in love with Oscar. Yeah. Hello. Kisses. And you wrote that you're <laughs> in love with Jacob. Well, 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 here comes the tea. Everybody <laughs> get ready for the spill. <laughs> well, way, way less uh, entertaining. Than that might be love letters are this thing from powered by apocalypse by the Oh my gosh! It's by, from Powered by the Apocalypse. Which Take is seven. <laughs> oh god damn it! Let me do an Australian accent. Uh, no, uh, they're from that game. The the originator of this kind of system. And let's see, how do I describe them? It's kind of a like almost an aside, like to a yeah. specific player in general. And then you kind of make you write your own move based on that. It's essentially a custom move in the Powered by the Apocalypse system that allows you to. Um, do like down. Usually, it's used for downtime stuff, mm -hmm. and so like okay, um, we haven't uh, we we took a break. We said that uh, two months is going to pass. You might pull the table of like what are you interested in doing that time in that time, and then between like that session and the next session that takes place two months later, you say like okay, you were trying to do this make this kind of role, depending on how it goes, you get all these various options and you usually use it 
to get more at what's the world like around you, what's going on with this character, what's their like, what's it going on in their head headspace and their brain hole, like that kind of a thing. Um, so we learn more about the world. We have them often make kind of difficult decisions, and it usually exists pretty far outside the realm of a regular move because you can say like, oh. You've created some in the two months you've built an invention that is uh, is going to change this community. Now, go ahead and make this role. And like, all right, well, we already know that you, you're changing the community. How how good is it? How good is it? What can it do? What are some negative things? What are some other problems that come about because of it? That kind of stuff. So it it's a custom move that lets you basically allow the player to make a bunch of choices That'll really further affect things. That's often beyond how regular moves work, and I think it usually hits into the character background or like world building. Yeah, that's a perfect way to describe that. I was trying to remember, I think, as by way of example, I think the one that um, I did for Jacob playing a Cuvier was a Cuvier. Cuvier. I always say Cuvier. Mm -hmm. I have no idea why. I like. In my head, when I'd see you write it again, I was like, he's edited these things fairly recently. This is funny. No idea what I must have had a some character named Couvert at some point. But anyway, Couzer. Um there's that bullet in your head that's yeah. <laughs> making certain sounds sound one way. Oh uh yeah, when he I think when he first appeared, his first appearance, I gave him one of these and it was uh he had been captured. This whole module's revolving around kidnapping so it was pretty easy but he was he was kept he'd been captive for a certain amount of time and i think the role was uh what kind of shape he was in at this point so i think one you make a, a role and then one option was you had uh you had some damage so you uh you know had lower hit points than normal you had uh i think the he didn't have his items with him and um, I forget what the third one was. Maybe it was like more information or something. I think it was that you haven't pissed off your captors. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. And then based on how good the role was, you pick one or maybe even two of those bad things that are happening. If you did really well, maybe you didn't have to pick any. Something like that. <laughs> That's a very uh, convoluted example now I think about it. But there you go. But I think that those kind of things can work and be a good opportunity for them. My qualm, not Quan, <laughs> that was Oscar's character. My qualm with it is when you have the character who is still in the story and still there, still present, but the player is not. And that's when I think things get a little bit tough in a more serious game, especially one that's supposed to be presented to an external audience and also makes sense. And that's where it becomes tough. Um, and part of that comes down to kind of the vibe of Dungeon World and the vibe of this kind of style Dungeons and Dragons, which is, all right, the party goes into the dungeon. The party together does this stuff. And you can always split the party. And um, I think that maybe 
I'm I'm Monday morning quarterbacking it, but that's kind of the whole point of what we're doing right now. If I was running this, I might have been inclined to separate the party much more often and have it be like, Quan got grabbed by these people and now he's gone. Like, do that more often. I know you did that initially, but then do that even more often than that to kind of be like, oh, he, he, he fell down a trap. And it, it sounds dumb, but then it gives you the better opportunity to use things like those love letters and also to not have to worry about, well, I don't want anything to happen to Quan while Oscar's not here. And I don't want Quan to be too central in what's going on, but wouldn't he be useful in this? Should I then start playing him? What should I do? You then don't have to worry about that as the person running the game, because after all, he fell down a hole and then the rest of the characters couldn't get him. And if that happens a bunch, yeah, that's kind of obnoxious as like a story thing of like, well, one character keeps vanishing over and over again, and then they keep having to find them over and over again. But then that becomes like a scheduling thing that you work out with that person. I, I think having them be there raises more issues for you as the person running the game than if you were to pull them out of things as a character, and then they could come back. Plus you could also, if you've got the time, um, then also maybe run something on the side with them to have it be okay. This is what you were experiencing while you were trapped in that hole. Maybe there's stuff that you know about that the other people don't know, and maybe you don't want them to know it. So it gives you those opportunities. And you could do that with those love letters if you don't have the time where you could say like, make this role. Oh, you find the secret information and maybe give them even mechanical type reasons for like not wanting to give them other people this information. If keeping it a secret would just be really cool. But because we operated as a party, we split up probably only two or three times the whole game. And since we split up only two or three times, having those other characters players not be there meant that there was just this kind of awkward on autopilot person walking behind us. Yeah, that, that's a really good point. And it, a really good opportunity too, especially if you know they have a, a scheduled absence, I guess. Um, those are really fun. Like when you can kind of put that together. Um, I've got two examples that I think did it in an interesting way. Yeah, let's hear um, both of them are from the campaign podcast, uh, James D'Amato's uh, baby. So um, the first from the Star Wars podcast. So apparently at some point they were taking forever. I, I was a big fan of campaigns podcast, the Minoc crew and that stuff. It was it was a lot of fun. Very hilarious. Those guys are very talented. At some point, I was super pissed off, probably in like 2016, when they just stopped releasing stuff. And they stopped for months. And there was like a couple of months, and they just didn't come out with anything new. And I was like, okay, I guess this just fell apart. And then eventually, they started coming out with stuff again. And the feeling of the podcast was a little bit different. And you had Cat Cool, who at the time was still involved with the podcast, running some of the stuff. And then James D'Amato running some other stuff. 
And what it was, was apparently they couldn't get the people together. And so they split the campaign up into two separate campaigns and they hopped back and forth. And actually, that's a fantastic solution to that problem. You know, these people can't meet on these days. Here's this problem. This person can't do this stuff. Meet with them when you can. And then you can have these different groups doing different stuff. Essentially, split the party and turn it into two games. And that's awesome. And again, if you're not recording this, that works really well because one group can just go off and do their stuff. And if it's never resolved, the players still had fun. And then who gives a shit? It was fun. That was the point. If you are recording it, it requires a little bit more coordination because you want the people to end up back at the same point later on. And for those two different divergent journeys to have some kind of effect for the story. But even that, it, it isn't too crazy. They found these items. This other group found these items. They learned these secrets. These people found these items and learned these secrets. This person now has this dark thing that they did. Will they be able to hide it when they rejoin the rest of the group? That kind of stuff. The campaign folks also, in their later Skyjacks campaign, at some point, uh, there was an episode. That they usually apparently would record where each session would become two or three episodes, which is a pretty common thing. But they had one where uh, John Patrick Cohen couldn't make it. And so his character, Dref, was literally just after this battle had just been knocked unconscious. And so someone was just drag like bringing him around. And that was it. He was just unconscious. And so was his character in the room? For some of the scenes, yes. But he wasn't doing anything. And for one session, which equates to two or three episodes, that's fine. That's okay. Oh, this person's out of commission. They got hurt. They fell down. They're poisoned. They're stuck in a mirror because it's a fucking magical wonderland, whatever it is. And they're, that's what they're doing. And they aren't able to interact with anybody. And so them being there prevents the GM, prevents the person running the game, air quotes, from having to really play, either play that person's character or worry about putting putting them too much in danger. Like, you don't have to worry about that stuff. Oh, this person, they're asleep. So those are some options that I have. I think the way we did it, it wasn't a huge deal. It wasn't a big deal. Um, but at times... I could tell there were some issues of like, well, wouldn't Quan be able to help us with this? Well, no, he can't because he's an NPC right now. <laughs> yeah. And not to harp on this too much, but as a bad example, I, speaking of Quan, um, I remember the, the one time that I really felt um, I don't know, maybe disappointed, I guess, is uh, there was that, if you remember the, the cloven stump in the, the middle of the swamp, that was that it was like a magical tree stump that was kind of cursing the area. And I kind of put that like as a as a rumor or a legend with uh, Quan in mind because he had chosen the uh, the cleanliness stuff for the the monk. So I was like, oh yeah, eventually they're going to run into this. And it just so happened that you you ran you ended up the party ended up finding it when he wasn't there. And I was like, oh well, chucks, this is depressing. Uh, and he was in NPC mode at that point. It turned out like okay in the end because. Um, 
you know, Silmogar the wizard kind of had a, a interesting ritual about it instead of a interesting monk ritual about it. But it was a little disappointing at the time. I'm like, Chucks, this this was for Quan. <laughs> I can't believe they ran into it this session of all sessions. Yeah, expect kind of a those things that happen sometimes if you if you're taking this uh three player plus policy, unfortunately. I mean in other games we've and I I covered this before, but in other games there is more of an episodic framework. And so, or like a chapter framework. And so if you know a person can't be there, then you can just say like, well, you're just not here for this one. Um, Mm -hmm. So in this American monster, Lee, when Lee's first kid was being born or when you were getting married, David, uh, like you guys were busy and it was totally reasonable. And um, so we just said, you guys aren't there. And then we figured out what you were doing, whether it was, oh, Lee's character is really hurt or your character is off doing this other adventure, that kind of stuff um, gave us the opportunity to say the other players are going on without you and your character. You'll come back in later. So that, yeah. that that's, that's an option there that uh, if you can have a dungeon, that's much more module. Maybe that, that could work out. Well, where it's like, okay, well, if I've set everything up where it's just going to be one session, you go into this one little tower and there's the 10 towers of the great wizard of Skarnovran, like that kind of a deal. Then like, okay, well, each of these 10 towers, we got to do some fucking stupid thing. And then like we play through that and that's one night and then we're done. And then afterwards we fight Skarnovran. That's that's the natural order of it. Yeah, that makes sense. The order of Skanovron. <laughs> but yeah, I guess anything else on that in particular? Yeah. So also uh, another thing we were talking about was uh, kind of character backstories, especially with uh, Dungeon World, because I think everyone else hopefully will appreciate casters backstories as much as me and the, the hints that we got. And I think Austin being, I don't know, maybe more used to this was very gung-ho about that like adding them to the campaign but i worry that dungeon world isn't really equipped for that that i think that was a lot of austin doing that by himself his own initiative but there are some ways like we've as we've talked about yeah i i mean my first thing to say would be i think a lot of games the the majority Eh, not the majority, but at least like a lot of your more classic, especially crunchier games, don't they don't push for that backstory stuff to come out in game. And so if you have just Dungeons and Dragons or Vampire the Masquerade or L5R has you situated in a certain social hierarchy and class stuff. So it's a little bit more so. But like a lot of times it's OK, that's cool that that's your backstory anyway. So we're going into the goblin nest and like then all of that goes off to the wayside. Like that's cool that you're like, I was an orphan and I was raised on the mean streets of Neverwinter having to pickpocket just to stay alive. And the only person I could look up to was Scalamath, the coo- the, the, the leader of the Thieves Guild. And I worked my way up to being a, a lieutenant in the Thieves Guild until Scalamath sold me out. And so now I want revenge on Scalamath. Like that kind of a thing. 
who's my new mm-hmm. next character, guy who hits Scalameth. <laughs> um, but yeah, the um, in, in all honesty, a lot of those games, you don't really have to engage with this stuff and there isn't much of a mechanic to do so. So I don't think that Dungeon World is too much different than a lot of those other ones. I want to push that shit a lot because when I come up with a character idea, it's very hard, even if I come up with them at the table and I did not fully come up with this person at the table with cast the idea of caster at the table. Um, even if I were to come up with the person, the idea for the character right then and there, if it's anything more than a one shot, I'm going to be wondering a lot, like what's this person's deal how did they get here? If they have some kind of quirk or ability or power or f- feature, which everyone does, <laughs> um, how did they get that? What does it mean? If they're in, if they're part of a group, how does that group work? How do they relate to the others in the group? So I'm going to nitpick the shit out of that. And um, if you listen to our last episode in which we talked with the other players, one of the things was not everybody does that. Like Oscar was kind of just like, no, yeah, I pretty much had said what I had to say. <laughs> it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And that's fine. Like you can have a good time saying my character is this and we don't have to get to a lot of it um, or like dig into it anymore. You can try to push that with people. And I think that that can have sometimes not negative results, but you can tell at the table when another person is just like, no, that's not really my thing. And my suggestion would be when you start to feel that just let up, that's not that person's thing. Um, in one of the games with my cousins, one of the dungeon world questions is like, whom do you serve? And he just Mm -hmm. goes myself. And so my cousin Jake said that for his character (laughs) and it's like, okay, well that's just, it allows him to do kind of whatever he wants to do. And that's the character that he wants to play. He doesn't want to play this character who's connected to something else. That's not something that interests him. So don't push it. Um, if you remember years ago when we played that Drown Town Apocalypse World game where we played like basically Waterworld in downtown Orlando via the <laughs> Apocalypse World system, at the very end, Andrew, our friend Andrew, had a character who had this like nemesis in the background who there was something wrong and he was looking for revenge for something that... And it was like, what did you do to piss this guy off that you've been always afraid that he's going to show up in your life? And when he shows up, why are you so scared? What is it that you know you did that he's pissed about? And he gave an answer that was so like, like, really? That's the thing that, okay. He stole my sandwich. Well, it's like, huh? it, it wasn't to that degree, but it was like, and I think what I just kept doing was, that's I think what I said was, I'll just give the exact example. He was like, oh, this guy thought he was going to have a threesome and I prevented him from having a threesome. <laughs> and I was like, this game has been way more serious than that. That seems like it's like the plot of part of like uh, Apocalypse World Pie. Like, oh, Jason Biggs is going to fuck a pie in the middle of this drowned world where people are like fighting to eat sea rats. Um <laughs> It's sea rat pie, dude. It feels just like the real thing. Come on, <laughs> Stifler. Um, yeah. So, but but in this, Stifler is like the leader of a cult that like eats human flesh. <laughs> but yeah. Um. Anyway. But so he 
he said that and that bugged me and I pushed him to just in, and I instead said that's what you told yourself always but what was the real thing now that he's here and you look at him what was the real thing that you did and I will say that I think Andrew didn't read the tone of that game so his response was like off tone but then at the same time maybe it doesn't have to be as serious as that or like maybe other people's responses can be okay and you don't need those backstories to be as epic as as they have to be there are some characters who their backstory is it's pretty either not there um or pretty just i don't want to say one dimensional but just pretty like paint by numbers so again andrew always had a great critique of final fantasy 7 which okay. when it, this this is how long ago I was talking to Andrew about shit, but he was like, you know, fi- everybody loves Final Fantasy VII, and they think Cloud and Sephiroth are these super cool characters. And he goes, "What's cool about Cloud? Tell me about him as a character." And I was like, "Uh, you're <laughs> right. Oh shit, <laughs> he's a guy with a big sword and kind of one shoulder pad, and that's cool." And he's like, "Yeah." So he just looks cool. And I was like, oh, I guess you have a point. He isn't really much of a character at all. But the thing is, sometimes that's okay. So the first thing for all of this stuff about backstory is maybe characters don't have these big, deep backstories. I wanted my character to have that. And I wanted it, and I think did, absolutely shoehorn the shit out of that as possible, as much as possible. Because anytime we had something I would say, then I think back to when I was part of the church and this was going on and it allowed me to like just build who this character was when I, I didn't need to. So yeah. Yeah. And then from the, the GM side, like whenever a player does that kind of stuff, that's just perfect. Just get your notepad out, write as many notes down of the details that they're going into as you can. And especially in um, these kind of Pirate of the Apocalypse games, because they'll give you opportunities to, um, you know, make hard decisions based on that maybe or the like, but just any chance to incorporate kind of uh, stuff that players come up with into the game, the larger game for all everybody, as you can, every opportunity to do that is just great. It's like perfect. Yeah, I would say as a as a GM, as someone running the game, try to get jot stuff down about these backstories to bring things in because that will make your characters feel much more invested in the game because now the stuff that they created is suddenly showing up and they'll feel they'll feel more into it. From a player perspective, I will say don't expect the person running the game to do this especially with everything that you say. (laughs) So like if you're throwing a ton of spaghetti at the wall, the GM should be picking some of that spaghetti off and going, Ooh, those are good noodles, baby. I'm going to use those (laughs) later. But it's a lot of, it's just going to stick to the the wall. Like, and just let it just sit there. Or I guess in the spaghetti at the wall analogy, because the spaghetti's not done, it technically doesn't stick to the wall. It just falls off. (laughs) so but yeah so like don't expect that we've played games in the past where i as a player expected the person running the game to use way more of my backstory 
and they didn't. And I was sometimes disappointed in that, but it was like, well, at the same time, there were a million other things going on. I shouldn't expect them to have to cater the whole thing toward me. Like game of, I'll use game of Thrones, game of Thrones at time. I only seen the show game of Thrones succeeded as this ensemble cast show about these different characters that we encounter. And they all usually have kind of like, they're usually pretty rich characters. Like there's, there's something to all of them, but we don't learn absolutely everything about Tyrion Lannister. And if we did, then it wouldn't be an ensemble cast. It would be just the story about him. And even then, you don't learn everything about characters that are the singular characters of a story. So don't expect that all of those things in your character background are going to be fleshed out. Don't view that as a failing of the GM, if not all of it was worked out. But GMs, you got to pull some of it in. Otherwise, I think you're letting the other person down and you're letting your you're and you're leaving money on the table truthfully like it's there use it the person's already invested in it they literally created it yeah if they're volunteering information it's like perfect it's so valuable don't fall into the trap of like uh like that i did in DD days where okay everybody we're starting a game everyone give me your one two page backstory write it up like never do homework over it but if someone's volunteering it absolutely take advantage of that yeah don't yeah making sure to not turn stuff into homework is really, is really tough. Just recently I sent out in a game that we're playing now, a bunch of questions for people. And one of the things I said was like, you do not need to write up your responses to this. Just literally think about these, just think mm -hmm. about them, keep them in your head. You don't need to do this as homework. Just think about this. And later on, Try to guide some of your stuff towards this. I don't need those answers. I don't even need you to tell me, you know, I read your questions and now here are my answers. Like, didn't, I don't need any of that stuff. Um, but yeah, don't expect people to do that because a lot of folks either won't or it's just an other big pain in the butt. That's an advantage of these types of games too, especially the Powered by the Apocalypse kind of thing where they tell you in the the rules as the GM, you can ask these questions whenever you want. Like, oh, you're at the edge of this cliff, everybody. Um, hey, you, uh, what was that name you had? Scar Scardard. Uh, That's a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah. Al Alexander, how does this remind you of uh, the home you left behind or something? Like, ask really leading, poignant, quite, not poignant, but, you know, leading questions like that to just put them on the spot if they don't have a backstory yet, or if, even if they do, it's just always really fun to just to even hear what weird answers they have. And going back to what Austin said before with that previous game, if they give you a, an answer that is completely off tone, don't feel scared about like, okay, interesting first thought, but what's your real thought? Or even just, you could say, do you want to try again? I think that's perfectly acceptable too. And I would say if a person just doesn't, they can't think up a thing. Oscar has said in other games that we played with him, he's like, I'm not the best at coming up with that kind of stuff on just on, on my toes. Just ask that question to somebody else. Just move it, move it to another person or 
skip them. It's not a problem. Just make sure that they understand that like, hey, if you don't have an answer to this, it's not a dilemma. It doesn't stop the game. It's just an opportunity for you to flesh stuff out. So that's, again, I really like those opportunities. I think some people would not be as crazy about them. And Caster's backstory, I just want to say, definitely changed <laughs> from the first one-shot that we played. Uh, because in the first one-shot that we played, Leia died, <laughs> was part of the story. And then uh, in the next one, she was instead like exiled by the church and taken away to somewhere, and that became a big deal. But in the first one, it was like, oh yeah, she died in like a plague. Mm -hmm. So I had I had forgotten that I said that. And if you're just playing to have fun, keeping track of that is great. But you're just playing to have fun. If you're trying to create a narrative that's really structured and makes sense <laughs> logically, then maybe you need to keep notes, which maybe I should have done. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk about bonds? And bonds versus uh, what are they called? Oh, flags. Flags. Yeah, sure. We we kind of covered that in the other one, but yeah. Um, from the GM's perspective, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, I'll I'll give a link in the show notes. But uh, flags, sure. Yeah, flags were. I wish I could credit this person, but they'll be in the show notes at least. But flags are kind of um, they're not in the actual book. It's someone else kind of came up with these later. And I think originally as a replacement for bonds, although as we said before, they kind of work better in side by side with bonds in most of at least our opinion. But flags are kind of uh, almost triggers that you're trying to get other players to do to kind of interact with your your character. So I think casters was make me bring up something about our past talking about backstories or make me reluctantly bring up something about your past. Right. Was the. Yeah, and one of Jacob's was like, make me go headlong into danger when I shouldn't or something like that. Yeah, so kind of a, or kind of scripts of how the other players should be interacting with your character to kind of highlight how you want to have your character perceived or how you, yeah. how you want to play them. In a, in a, in like a, what is his name? John Hughes kind of high school comedy from the eighties, you might have the nerd character be like, uh, like make me, make me explain something that no one else is interested to show how smart I am. And then they have to like, be like, well, computers are actually the next generation of like <laughs> that kind of a thing. And then you'd have a jock be like, make me show, uh, make me show that I'm superior to everybody by putting somebody else down. And it's like, all right, well, you ready to see the, the the same kind of pass you're going to see tonight at the on the on the field? And he takes a, I don't know, a can of beans and throws it uh, <laughs> because he's also crocodile Dundee. Uh, yeah, and hits a real nerd nerdlinger, uh, like that kind of stuff. So it's it's hey, here's what my what I think my character should be doing. Give me excuses to do that. Basically, it's I want my character to be this thing. Often, like, it's tropes that you want to hit. Give me excuses, reasons, motivations. Push me to act this way because that's what I want to see my character doing. Yeah, so those are kind of, those are a good way to kind of have a player's backstory come up in, in game or at least their more of their character 
their characterization is what I'd say yeah. more so than the backstory. Now you can, right. you can push in the backstory element like I did, mm-hmm. but um, I think bonds serve a different purpose. Yeah. And bonds, uh, they're in the, the actual book, the part of the, the original game, but they, they're kind of a uh, almost mad lib. Yeah. Their mad libs are filling the blanks about how the different PCs are connected to one another, how they are bonded to one another. Exactly. So I think those, I think bonds work well to show exactly what they're supposed to show. This person and I are connected to one another through this. The problem is I think in a lot of games, it is very easy with bond, and this is about bonds, to just be like, all right, so-and-so and I have a con running together. And that's that's as much as you put into it. And it's like, the purpose of this is to give me a plus one when I'm trying to help them do something. That's all it is. It's basically just, I have this person down for this. That's what it is. And maybe I get an experience point down the road if I say, I don't like them anymore. I don't want to run that bond with them any longer. I think that that's kind of a cop-out and a suggestion that I have is, and David, you may not feel the same way, use bonds to explain your backstory and to basically say, okay, well, how does you having a bond with so-and-so at all help in this role? And you could have to talk about like, well, when we were working together to like fleece this group of people, I would have to be able to focus on certain reactions that uh, she has. And so now that I'm familiar with those reactions, I'm super familiar with her like body language. And even just in this instance, I can tell, uh oh, she's more in trouble than she normally lets on because I can... I'm familiar with watching her to make sure I can help get her out of this as part of the con. Well, now we've got more information about this con and now we can keep building on this con that the two of you have that you're running and we can use it to push that. And you might complain that, Hey, that slows down combat, but guess what? All of this shit slows down combat a ton. So combat moving quickly through this is, is always going to be pretty slow. Um, you could alternatively say, all right, well, you get plus one because you just have the bond with them. Or you can get plus two if you give me that information. And then all of a sudden now that plus two is a big bonus in Dungeon World. Plus two um, really changes stuff up. Now people are, you're going to have to be like, all right, you really need to dig in and give me this stuff. But if you, and so that's something you could do, I think, if you want a game where the background of the characters comes out. So there's, there's my little homebrew to push character backstory through the usage of bonds. And it doesn't, I don't think it doesn't conflict with flags because flags are still just try to make me take on someone I shouldn't. Yeah. That's a cool idea. I like that. Otherwise, I mean, flashbacks, flashbacks are really good flashbacks we talked about campfire scenes a little bit mm-hmm. um i know you and i've discussed that at times having flashbacks i think works out i pushed them pretty hard with caster but saying to people like okay let's see a time where your something like this mattered to you 
And then that way we we have that flashback like you'd have in a TV show or a movie where now the character's remembering like, oh, I remember when I was a little girl and uh, the Korgoth Raiders came and we all had to hide and my, my mother was the only one who stood up to them. Uh, like that kind of a thing. Like now you have that like, okay, Korgoth Raiders, your mother was important. Like, and maybe we hadn't heard this stuff before. And if we had heard it, that's fine too. Now you have a... I don't want to say a visual of it, but now you have a narrative description of what went on when that happened. Even if we knew like, Oh yeah. Um, the Korgoth Raiders uh, came and killed my, the, my parents and the people in my village. And I lived on my own as a little hermit, uh, <laughs> like wildling out in the woods for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- those are great. Especially those campfire scenes are often the best and they're great times for GMs to do those those questions to everybody. It also allows you as the GM to ask questions about characters that like there normally wouldn't be time for. So like you're sitting there and just saying like here's one with Caster. Okay, you have this arm that has this harpoon on a chain. (laughs) Does the chain just hang there flaccidly and it's like 15 feet long or 20 feet long, 20 foot long foot of cha- like length of chain, or does it have like a weird like winch system that pulls it back in? Like that is the kind of thing that we could have maybe discussed there. I always imagined it did have some kind of winch system that pulled it back in, but I don't know if, if that was a question for you, that's a great time to ask it. Um, I remember in one of our games that we ran a long time ago, Alex and his, uh, his character, Jeff, the fighter, where he was like, oh, I have my flail. And he kept talking about a flail or a mace. And it was just a good opportunity for it to be like, hey, what do you think this thing looks like? (laughs) Because you've used some different terminology and that's not that important to know which one you mean. But but what are you thinking? What does this thing look like in your head? And you can also like get to those relations between the PCs of like, you know, why is this person annoying to you or what what's your relationship with them as you're sitting there? We know that you guys have a con running together. Or you know that you owe them your life. But how does that really go on a day to day basis when you're not both fighting goblins? Like we know you're going to try to protect them. But how does Chewie feel about Han Solo on a regular day? Does he just, is he annoying? Is he like, oh, this is my little brother who's a real pain in the ass? Does he look up to him as like a, like an authority figure in some way or another where it's like, well, he's my captain and I'll follow him to the ends of the earth. Does he view him as some kind of weird father figure? Are they lovers perhaps? Who knows what goes on on the spice mines of Kessel? <laughs> so spicy. Mm. Yeah, I guess in summation, Dungeon World doesn't really have a lot of at least built into it opportunities for players to really explore these backstories. But with a little bit of effort, I think you from GMs or the players themselves, I think it's, it's a welcome for sure. If you can, if that's the kind of game you're going for. And if not, I mean, maybe, maybe that's not really a priority. So yeah, play it totally straight without it. It's it's don't, don't push it. If the other people aren't into it, but if people are, are open to it, see where they're willing to go and uh, give them the spaces to do that. 
I think is a, is a good idea. And if it's something that you're interested in, maybe tell people in advance of like, Hey, this is going to be a game where we explore also your backgrounds. So, or your backstory. So you don't have to come up with a 10 page sheet of who you are and every where you ever went up to now, but I'm going to be asking you these questions. So don't, don't be too surprised when I say, Oh, so you have the sword. Where did you get the sword? Be ready to at least talk about that stuff. And also one last little thing with this. Some people are tough being put on the spot and needing to answer right away. I often had information in the background that I was pushing. If a person doesn't have that, maybe a thing to do would be to ask them the question and then go to another character, do stuff with them, and then come back to the player you asked the question to. So then they've had some time to think or ask them this question before you go on a break. Say, hey, you know, uh, we're all sitting down at the campfire and I want to explore the fact that, you know, you've said you're missing a hand. Let's talk about the fact that you're missing a hand or that you have this weird, crazy sword or um, you carry around a picture of um, a, a child. What's the deal with that? And if the person doesn't have an answer right away, say, Let's think about it. Let's take a break. Everybody grab a beer, grab a cigarette, um, go take a poop. Uh, hopefully, three bird it, baby. Uh, I love that Leonard Skinner song. Um, are, you, are you on that topic? I am. What is the chance I could go three bird it? Do it. Okay. Give me one minute. Sure. Well, awesome three bird. Took quite a long time. In fact, about a week. So... You'll have to tune in next time for the conclusion of this GM Advice discussion with David, that's me, and also Austin, the Three Burger. Thanks for listening to This American Dice. Hey, did you like this? Well, well, guess what? There's plenty of places for you to listen to more. We do long campaigns every Thursday. We do shorter ones on Thursday. Oh, I meant Friday. We do classic ones on YouTube. We have a pin for sale very recently. There's all kinds of ways you can do it. Contact us if you'd like to learn more. Just keep tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this discussion. We'll be back next week with that conclusion.